0: A few powerful companies. Main Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown. Hello and welcome to Monopolies Killed My Hometown. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron. And in this podcast, I'm exploring how our decision to change our competition laws in the 1980s has led to the rise of monopolies and corporate power and the decline of small towns and small businesses. So I'm sharing my experiences growing up and then moving back to Amherst, Nova Scotia, where I currently run my business and live with my family. And I'm trying to search our Canadian anti-monopoly history to find the solutions we used the last time we fought back against monopolies. Ultimately, I want our small towns, small businesses, and people to have more control and agency over their own lives and futures. When we are governed by corporations headquartered elsewhere, we can lose control over our lives and communities and ultimately lose hope. I'm also a co-founder of the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, a new think tank doing research and other work advancing the anti-monopoly movement. You can find us at antimonopoly.ca. So in today's episode, I'm going to look back at the report of the Royal Commission on Price Spreads. And I'll put a link to this report in the show notes. In episode four, I reviewed the article by Peter C. Newman and he referenced the Stevens Commission. And so that's the other name of this report. So I've read this report previously. In fact, last year I started live tweeting my reading of this report. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. I always enjoyed this report, but let's get to the history and the background of this report. So on February 2nd, 1934, the House of Commons passed a resolution forming a select special committee to investigate the price differences between what consumers were paying and what primary producers were receiving. Because essentially in the 1930s, the price of bread increased significantly, but the amount paid to the farmers who grew the wheat didn't increase. And the government decided to find out why what was causing this because that's not how it should go. If the price of the end product goes up, everybody along the chain should be receiving more money and larger profits. So this report was from 1934. And so keep in mind, this was in the middle of the great depression in some stats to put in perspective again. So in 1933, the unemployment rate was 30%. In the Western provinces depended significantly on exports, which had fallen, you know, exports to the US, to Europe, they'd all come down significantly. And so Saskatchewan's provincial income fell 90%. I got that from the Canadian Encyclopedia. And as I say, this is the chef's kiss line for me from this talking about the Great Depression. The Maritimes had already entered into severe economic decline in the 1920s and had less distance to fall. So maybe some things don't change much. That was my comment about the great financial crisis. You know, in the Maritimes, if we don't go up a whole lot, we don't have a whole lot of room to fall again. So maybe some things really don't change that much. Okay, so the commission was told to look into the price spreads of uh, bakeries and wheat, but they're also told to look into the system of distribution in Canada for farm products, natural products, and manufactured goods. They were then given more specific topics to investigate, such as the effect of mass buying by department of chain stores on independent retailers, manufacturers, and producers the labor conditions in the industries that supply the mass buyers, and what the impact of mass buying has had on the living standards of the employees, of the manufacturers, and the producers, and the relationship between the flour milling industry and bakeries in the country, and the markets and systems in the livestock and animal products industries, and how this industry prevents a fair return to the producers. So those are the farmers, people raising the animals. The commission was also given subpoena powers For people papers documents records anything they needed to complete their investigation so i don't want to bury the lead of this report at all so i'm going to share a line from the introductory chapter so a bit of a preamble or context for this line The commission was given all the different industries and things to investigate. And so when they were first thinking about it, the commission was concerned that they couldn't write a succinct report to capture all the concerns of producers, manufacturers, distributors, and wage earners. They initially thought that they would need to write separate reports for each category of concerns, which would be much longer, much larger. It would be a much, much bigger job for the commission. But then the commission concluded, and this is quoting from the introductory chapter. On closer study, however, it became clear that many of the grievances complained of and the problems disclosed were manifestations of one fundamental and far-reaching social change, the concentration of economic power. And I think this was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I've got to read this whole report. Because basically the Select Committee did a massive market study of the Canadian economy and determined that the root of all problems was concentrated corporate power. That was the through line for everything in the report that concentrated corporate power underlies the whole report that they produce. So I wanna get into the structure of this report. And in today's episode, I'm really gonna just look at the introductory section, but I have a few thoughts and comments first. So first is I'm starting to think that nothing is ever really new. Everything's just an updated or slightly modified version of something that happened in the past. I mean, this is an exaggeration. There are new things that come and happen. But I was reminded of this the other day when two of the young boys in our neighborhood showed up at our house and they had like the start of mullets going on again. And then I saw that the mullet world championships was happening. So I was kind of like, well, mullets are coming back. Is really anything new. Anyways, this also applies so much in the economy. In 1934, our government started a select commission because people had to pay more for bread. And we know that wheat producers and farmers didn't get paid any more. And so at that point, we wanted to know where that money went and why it did. And again, like I said, I don't think anything's really that new. In 2020, the price of lumber at the retail store tripled. So a two by four, like eight foot, went from about $3.50 to about $11. And two things I know, retailers didn't make any more margin on their lumber. Most lumber has single digit profit margins and that didn't increase. And second, the forestry workers – and woodlot owners didn't get any more for their lumber. So again, this is just like the wheat growers in the bakeries in the 30s, but it happened now. And again, where did that money go today? Someone in the middle captured all that increase in price. But this time when it happened, we didn't think we needed to find out what happened. We just accepted that this is, this is how it goes. You know, commodity prices are up and down and prices fluctuate, and we just accepted that's what happens. And this is why I keep saying or pushing for the Competition Bureau to have the powers to do market studies, right? When we see these things happen again, you know, like the price of lumber going up, but the increased profits getting captured somewhere in the middle, I really think the Competition Bureau should be able to go out and find out what's happening. They should be able to request documents, they should be able to look at reports, they should be able to get the information to see what's happening and see what's actually going on in our economy. You know, I mean, the Parliament could also create another select committee to complete this investigation. I just don't quite see that happening anytime soon. Okay, let's get back to the committee and the report. The committee was formed on February 2nd, and they held their first session on February 22nd. And in the next five months, they held 60 sessions, and then between October 30th and February 1st, so you know, the next three, four months, they held another 66 sessions. These sessions were worth witnesses, you know, that worked in the private sector, worked for the federal government, uh, were experts in the different fields, provincial employees, representatives from public bodies, corporations, cooperatives, trade associations. So they made, submitted 8,277 printed pages of notes and transcripts, right? These are the interviews and, and this isn't including the research. Right? And like this is 1934, so these weren't done on the computer or they weren't photocopied. They were typed out by people on typewriters. They also submitted 440 exhibits that consisted of petitions, written submissions, and other communications. Also, again, like I said, this was 1934, so you couldn't necessarily fly everywhere. You couldn't, you know, Zoom or Skype or Teams or, you know, which may or may not be a bad thing. But this was a lot of work in a short period of time. And that was one thing I really noticed or kind of took away from this is the government approached this with a sense of urgency. The committee was formed and less than three weeks later, they were starting to hold sessions and doing their research. And I mean, I suppose like looking back being three to four years into the great depression with 30% unemployment would have necessitated this urgency. I just, I don't feel like we, at any level of government, municipal, provincial, federal, you know, really approach anything with this level of urgency. I mean, like I said, we have a housing crisis across the whole country, and we're still doing housing needs assessments. And we're talking six or eight months to do a housing needs assessment, but we've done them before and there's nothing really concrete action items coming out of it. I mean, I joked to somebody once that, you know, I could get hired to do that study and I could have it done and completed in less than five words. Okay, what is the need for housing in Nova Scotia? All housing everywhere. That's our housing needs assessment. Anyways, I'm impressed by the urgency that this was tackled, like this investigation in this report. And I would love to see it again for a lot of our big problems that we have going on, whether it's corporate concentration, housing, climate change, COVID, healthcare, all of that. Like, let's, let's get at it. Let's get some stuff done. So the commission was given a wide list of industries to investigate. And the commission said, as they started doing the research and talking to people, they got more complaints from people in even more industries, right? So this is from page three of the introductory section. This is a list of industries they got additional complaints from that they did not go to investigate. Mining, Electric Light and Power, Electrical Supplies, Pulp and Paper, Lumbering, Oil and Gasoline, Oil Burner Manufacturing, Room and Basket Making, Quarrying, Railroading, Automobile Manufacturing, Biscuit Manufacturing, Plumbing, Manufacture of Leather Goods, Printing and Stationery, Brewing, Cleaning and Dyeing, Trucking, The Sale and Distribution of Coal, Notion, Pictures, Fruit, Tea and Coffee, Jewelry, The Operations of Loan and Finance Companies, Stockbrokers, Insurance Companies, and The Bell Telephone Company, Medical and Dental Fees, Funeral Costs, Postal Rates, express charges, conditions in domestic and agricultural service, labor and employment conditions in numerous individual establishments. That's a solid list, but that's just a list of the industries they didn't investigate, but got complaints about. Instead, they just focused on these industries, agricultural implements, baking, canning, can manufacturing, clothing and needle trades, fertilizer manufacturing, fishing, flour milling, Furniture manufacturing, livestock and meat packing, rubber goods, textiles, tobacco, and the retail industry. So these two lists for me are mind blowing. Between the two lists, there are 50 different industries on there. And so when I look at that, that's basically all the industries in the Canadian economy that the commission either was tasked to investigate or once they started, got more complaints about corporate power concentration in those industries. And out of those 50, the commission only investigated 16 industries and still reach the conclusion that the through line for all the problems was concentrated corporate power. And this is what I would guess is exactly what would happen if we started a similar investigation today. So, I mean, you could just play a little game yourselves. Pick any industry or any product that you find in Canada and you will find it dominated by three or four large companies. Maybe it's five or six, but it's a lot. You know, you could take insurance or you could take tools or pretty much anything, banking, telecom, concrete. Once you start looking into it and you go, okay, I wonder who owns that. And you start finding out who owns them, you'll see that there is the common ownership and it's all consolidated. And one trick I find for figuring out who actually owns something is when you go to their website, if you go to the website and then you scroll all the way down, and then you'll see like a copyright with like a, company name or something there, and that can give you an idea of the company that actually owns the product or produces the product. And then you Google who they are, who that company is, and you can see what else they own. And that's just sort of a quick way I've developed to find out how consolidated an industry is. One other key difference in this report compared to reports nowadays, The commission looked at the specific problems with, quoting, special emphasis on the condition of the wage earner and the primary producer. So the commission did not concern themselves with the, quote unquote, efficiency of the Canadian economy. No, that wasn't their primary value. The commission valued the welfare of people and individual Canadians higher than, you know, nebulous efficiency or consumer welfare. With this, the commissioners used language in this report that showed they valued the success of people more so than efficiency or something like that and so that was one of the things i noticed right off the bat was that sense of morality and highlighting different values that we were valuing small businesses that we were valuing people that we were valuing workers higher than other theoretical concepts and if you read reports now we've put the value of efficiency or these weird nebulous economic terms above people and so the reports are written and they're very bland It's like we've removed the morality or really the politics out of all these reports. And again, like in a previous episode, I talked about needing to increase interest rates to increase unemployment to bring down inflation, right? It's written in a bland way to hide that we're valuing lower inflation over people's work, people's career and people's success, right? I'd prefer if they just spelled it out, like don't hide behind this bland economic speak. And that's what I liked so much about this report. And I will highlight this language as we go along because some of the phrases are fantastic. So those are the few thoughts and comments I have on the whole report. I'm not gonna do this all at once because the whole report's about 400 and some pages. But the rest of the report is broken down into nine chapters plus appendices. So chapter two looks at the consolidation in the Canadian economy and how these levels of concentration show themselves throughout uh, our lives and throughout the economy. Chapter three looks at the financial industry and how corporate wealth has led to the consolidation levels that the commission was seeing. Chapter four is all about the rise of large productive enterprises and their impact on the wage earner and primary producer. Chapter five focuses on the plight of the wage earner, and chapter six is on the primary producer. So that's manufacturers, farmers, loggers, you know, people actually making the products. Chapter seven is a deep dive into the retail industry. They call it distribution. Chapter eight is about the consumer and recommends some basic consumer protections. Chapter nine focuses on the debates on the role of the state in business and how government can best manage and regulate commerce. And lastly, there are charts and data in the appendices. But before all those charts and data, there's a memorandum of reservations by Mr. Boulanger, Factor, and Ilsley. And there's also a minority report written by E.J. Young. So I didn't bother reading these reports previously, but I'm definitely gonna look at them again this time because I assume they're gonna be filled with the exact same arguments against, I was gonna say against the anti-monopoly movement, which would essentially make them pro-monopoly. So I'm quite curious and I'm really looking forward to digging into those. You can find PDFs of this report online, so I'll make sure I put that link in the show notes. Uh, If you want to read along with me, I'm going to approach this a bit differently. I don't want to just start at page one and work through the end. I kind of want to jump around just, just because that's how I want to do it. So next episode, I'm going to jump ahead to chapter seven, which is all about the deep dive into the retail industry. This is one that fascinates me. I've worked in retail before. I come from a retail family. It's something that we can see happening around. So I'm really curious to see what the commission was finding about the retail industry in 1934 and see what and how it is similar to what's happening today. So please subscribe to this podcast in whatever podcast player you're listening to. Check out next episode in a couple weeks, focusing on chapter seven of the Price Spreads Report. Take care, everyone. is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.